Hey, you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I am excited to be with you guys today. I, it's a beautiful day, is it not? Beautiful day to worship Jesus. Man, I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have notes. I just have my Bible today. Is that okay? I just want to share with you um, what's in my heart. As we're sharing kind of what we see God doing and saying, we believe that it, this, this thing is written on my heart. I don't know if you understand what that means. This isn't something that I sat and I formulated. This is something that is written on my heart. And so um, I'm going to try my to explain to you what I feel. Are you alive? Come on, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Okay, good. Madeline's awake. I want to share with you what I've, I, I feel um, God is saying, what God is doing. And it's funny. I was watching, uh, how many of you have seen Imagineering? Imagineering, it's uh, Disney Plus. Nobody. Y'all need to get Disney Plus and start watching Imagineering. It'll preach to you. But I was watching this, uh, this show, and it was describing, how many of you know Disney? Disney World, hello? And uh, it was talking about Walt Disney's journey to building Disney World. And it was talking about how when he was building, it was very difficult for people because they didn't understand what he was doing. Are you with me? Like he went and he came to Florida and like right now when you drive past Disney, it makes sense. But you got to know when he bought land, it was like swamp. And people thought he was crazy. And he spent millions of dollars buying land and trying to, 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 to do this thing that was in his heart. And a lot of people, even the people who are with him now and today, they're like, we didn't get it. We're like, he has lost his mind. But how many of you know he knew what was in his heart? Like, and I just want to say that because sometimes, like, when I'm trying to paint a picture, you're like, he's crazy. He's investing in the swampland. And, like, what, what, like, no, 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 no. I see something. And what I believe is God is raising up a people that will see the vision to carry it out. Oh, three of you. Wow. Are you alive? Do I need to go back into worship and prayer? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, open up your Bibles to Hebrews 6. Oh, she was playing with the flags. It's all good. Hebrews 6, and I want to read to you a scripture that has really been, like, arrested my heart. Like, it's been right here. And I feel that, that it's, it's, it's pertinent for us today. So we've been talking about belonging, believing, becoming. You remember this. Belonging, believing, becoming. We talked about belonging and being part of God's family, being adopted, sonship, God chose you. Pastor Chucho last week talked about believing, the things we believe, the things, how many of you remember? Power, love, and a sound mind. He did an amazing job describing what that looks like for us. And today I want to talk about what we are becoming. Say becoming. We are becoming something. Make no mistake about it. If you're not moving forward, you are moving backwards. And so what we want is we want to pursue God with everything that we have. And we want to make room for him to come inside and to change us. And so in Hebrews 6, the the speaker is talking, and he's saying this to the people. Now, say now. Now is the time for us to progress beyond the basic message of Christ into advance into perfection. You hear that? To advance into perfection, meaning God has something for us. How many of you have ever felt like you've been to church and you've been on this holiness hamster wheel like you've been rounding the same mountain and the same thing and the same thing and so you read a scripture like this where God is talking about perfection and you're like whoa that can't be talking to me no 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 no. this is for you 
Like he's calling us to advance into his perfection. This, I'm not preaching like you never make mistakes. I'm talking about you understanding who you are in him. Like your identity, like what God has for you. And he's calling us, will you advance into this perfection? Then he says this, the foundation has already been laid for us to build upon, turning away from our dead works to embrace faith in God. Teaching about different baptisms, impartation, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. So with God's enablement, we will be moving on to deeper truths. Here's what he's saying. If we're going through this faith journey, and like it's been like 10 years, and we're still talking about turning away from sins, and baptisms, and laying on of hands, what he's saying to us is, this is basic Christianity. Hello. Hey. Like, it's time for you to move on into something more. And what the devil would want to do for you in your life is to keep you circling, man, the people of Israel, circling a, a mountain for 40 years that should have been an 11-day journey where God is calling you into promise and into destiny and all of these things. And we're still talking about the same things because we refuse to move into perfection, to advance into what God has for us. Oh, I hope your spirit wakes up today. The foundation has already been laid for us to build upon, meaning, listen, the, the, what God has established, you are called to build upon that. So it's not that we don't care about the message of Christ. It, that is the foundation. Your house is amazing. How many of you love your home? Wow. Not a lot. Wow, it's surprising. Y'all are in a fish hog. But without the foundation of your home, those walls, that roof, it is useless. And what God is saying for us is, listen, I have built the foundation for you. It has been laid. Turning away from your dead works and embracing faith in God. Like to believe him, to trust him and everything that he has for you. To turn away from dead works, rounding the, uh, well, brother, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over this pornography thing. I'm just going to like, I'm just always going to compare myself. You know, I was, I was running a race. I ran a 10K yesterday. That's why y'all aren't as excited. I ran a 10K. I finished college. I'm like, I'm just crushing goals, crushing goals. Y'all keep on letting life happen to you, not me. So I'm running. And like, I'm not a fast runner. You see this? This is not. Somebody called me a marathoner. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sent somebody a message. Said, this, is this Geo the marathoner? Bro. So I'm running. And there's a lot of people, thousands of people, but there's this one guy in a yellow shirt. He's about 125 years old. And I'm running my pace because it's my race. I'm not called. But there's something about this guy that's annoying because he's like 125 and he's moving like this. And like, no matter how much, I, I couldn't pass him. And I'm like, just like, I'm, I'm like praying, God, strengthen me. God, break his hip. All kinds of like, just something Lord and then I came to a realization well here's the truth man I'm not I'm not called to race him I'm racing against myself I'm training for a marathon and a marathon is not the 10k I'm training for something different but this is a part of my process but the worst thing I could do to myself is try to compare my process to his process because I don't know what that guy's running for I know what I'm running for so I have a goal right I'm trying to run 13 miles in 12 minutes and the worst thing I could do is try to run at 11 minutes trying to keep up with 125-year-old grandpa. 
Are you understanding the correlation? And this is what happens in the church. We become discouraged and dismayed, and we don't allow God to perfect us and to create a foundation because we're busy looking at Joe Schmo and their process. And so like, well, I just can't worship that way because I'm not as good. I can't wave flags like Stephen. If you knew the sin in my life, I can all wave flags. And we allow God to like, we, we allow this condemnation and guilt and all of these things that separate. Like I can't approach God. The Bible says this, there is therefore no more. Say no more. There is therefore no more condemnation in those in Christ. Meaning like in my life, I, if I tried to look for condemnation, I could not find it. No shame. It's like it's, I, I cannot find it because he has eradicated it. And so the only thing that in my life that exists that has shame or condemnation are things I put on myself. I can't break it off of you because I didn't put it on you. This, this requires you to go back and allow God to, to, to move you beyond the, best, the basic message into more. So some of you are like, how do I do this? Uh, I don't care. I'm going for it, bro. How, how, how could I possibly ever move on to deeper truths? Like, he gives us a key. You understand this is food? Some of you are, are uh, I love you, I love you. But like, you're spiritually malnourished and you're frustrated with your walk and you don't understand this is food. This is food, like this is food. Oh. And so now he's talking about Abraham and the promise that was given to Abraham. So Abraham was a person who was very old. He wanted kids. He was given a promise. And it's talking about the faithfulness of the Lord. The word in Hebrews 6 says this. And now we have run. Oh, no. Let's start earlier. Verse 18. Hebrews 6, 18 says, So it is impossible for God to lie. Oh, come on. If God has spoken to you, it cannot fail. He cannot lie. The only thing that can negate, abort, and stop the plans of God over your life is you. It is alive. He cannot lie. If he speaks to you, he has given you the ability and the power to accomplish that. And you need to understand this because I'm about to give you a God dream he gave me. <laughs> and so it is impossible for God to lie for we know that his promises and his vows, they never change. He has not changed his mind about you. He still thinks you're good. He still loves you. He still believes in you. Regardless of what you think about yourself. And now... We have run into his heart. Ooh. We have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. What are you hiding in? You're hiding in something. Everybody has a trigger, right? I was meeting with a guy this week and I was saying to him, I was like, man, I just feel frustrated. My spiritual father, Pastor Len, I feel frustrated because I had read a statistic where it says that 60 to 70% of men in the church are bound to pornography. I read that and I was like, this again, how? How? And I looked at him and he said to me this, he said, he said, pornography is not a sex issue. It's not a sexual act. He said, it is, it is people not knowing where to send their frustration and their pressure so they run to that thing. He said, he said, that, that, that demon is weak. When people understand where the frustration and the tension is coming from, that demon has to go. And so now we have learned to run into his heart and hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find, look at this. This is where we find his strength and comfort for he empowers us. 
He empowers you. Like he put the Holy Spirit inside of you to empower you for what? To seize what has already been established ahead of time. A good father establishes. So if I want to be a good dad, I will establish Judah for success. I'm not just going, oh, well, good luck, buddy. I just hope you make it. No. My job as a father, and listen, I am not nearly as good as our heavenly father. You need to know this. Not, not a fraction. But as a good father, my job is to establish him so as he walks, he succeeds. So he has established you ahead of time with what? An unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor. Come on, you have been anchored. What to? Your soul has been anchored to God himself. Don't care how you feel about it. Don't care if you don't like it. That's truth. That's the Bible. So he has established you and he's calling you to hide into his heart and to believe. As I saw during worship, that the banner over you, everybody has a banner over them. That's why sometimes you run. How many of you ever ran, about, ran across someone who was depressed and you felt, you felt it? They didn't have to say it. Banner over them. That the banner over God's people would say faithfulness. And I feel that this is modeled for us. Like I, I, I want to paint a picture for what I feel God is doing. And, and, and I know some of you, like I was talking to the parent, I'm like, some of them, are, they're just going to think I'm crazy. But I really, I really sincerely feel this is a key for you. Are, you. are you interested in that? The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. How many of you know that? David is one of my favorite Bible characters, and there was something special about David. But, I, but, but here's what I want you to understand. This, David being special had nothing to do with him slaying Goliath. So like when we hear David, we're like, oh, David's a giant of the faith. We immediately think, ooh, whoosh, whoosh, no. Amazing moment. Amazing moment in his life. But here's the truth. What made David great and a man after God's own heart was the preparation that he made to receive what God had for him. So David is anointed. He is chosen. He slays Goliath. But between the moment of anointing and the moment of kingship, which he was called, there was a process. So we come into the faith and we come into church about, yeah, time to kill giants. Just because you kill a giant doesn't mean you're ready to rule and reign. So God takes David and he, and he puts him under a king that is going to persecute him for like, what, 15 years. And there is a maturation, there is, there is a maturity that is happening on the inside of David that will propel him to step into destiny. Understand, this is after Goliath. Some of you are so fixated with killing giants, that's why you always run into giants. God has called you to establish kingdom and you're like, where's the next one? I'm not fixated on the giants in my life. I'm, I'm not running around worrying about this theme and that. My job is to establish a habitation. Okay. Thank you. So 1 Chronicles. Can you go there with me? 1 Chronicles 13. Are you okay? You're the, you're the 11 a.m.ers. You're the lively crowd. Boots like, yeah, boots both today. You know, today we're taking up an offering, the advance offering, and I, and I want to make something clear. Say, say this, today, today is not about money. 
let's, let's say it again so it lands. Today is not about money. What I feel God is preparing us for as a body and as a people is for us to sow today for what we're believing for tomorrow. You understand that? This is huge. Because what, if we believe in something, we sow into it. So like this morning, I was tired. And because I believe that Starbucks has good coffee, I drove past the church to, to Starbucks. And I waited because I believe in, in, what, in what comes out of that building. I'm like, it works. I'm like, I'm sweating because of it right now. <laughs> and so I want to paint the picture to, for you to understand what we're building. First Chronicles 13. This is the moment where David comes on the scene. I'm doing good. 20 minutes. This is the moment where David comes on the scene. How many of you know, like, when, when there's tragedy or when a new president comes, there is, like, an address, a presidential address, right? You guys know? All of the TV stations turn to the same thing, and President uh, Barack Obama or Trump, you name it, they would come on television and they would address the nation. This is what is happening in 1 Chronicles 13. Saul is gone. David is stepping into destiny. And so the whole nation is watching what is about to happen, right? How many, like, people who don't even care about politics, they're watching that day. What is this fool going to say? And this is what's going on. After years and years of being led by, by a king who only cared about his position and protecting himself, they want to see what's going on, what's David going to do. And so David is walking into a hostile situation, and what they want, hear me, what they want is a solution to their problem. You need to fix this. There's enemies and there's civil unrest. This is our nation. You understand this? People are like, well, church, fix this. How do we do it? Give us a strategy, a 12-step plan. No, 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 no. David, he steps out on the scene, and this is the first thing he says. First Chronicles 13. He gathers all of the people of Israel, and they're all there. And he says, let us invite them to come in to join us. This is David. And he speaks out in front, and he says, it is time to bring back the ark of our God. For we neglected it during the reign of Saul. Let me make, let me make it. Let me make it more so you understand. It is time for us again to prioritize the presence. Are you alive? Yeah. It is time for us again for that, that which, which was forgotten. How many of you remember the ark of God was the place where the presence of God dwelled? Do you remember this? This was a promise. There was a cherubim. It was a box and there was stuff inside of it. But the presence of God dwelt on this. And this was the meeting place between God and man and man and God. This is a big deal. And when David got on the scene, the Ark of the Covenant had been gone for 70 years. I just don't understand why Gen Z and Gen, all, they're all leaving the church because the presence is not there. Well, the presence is at abide, not in fullness yet. It's just not in fullness yet because it takes a people to carry it. I'm going to prove it to you. So he comes on the scene, he says, let us bring back the Ark. And the people, the people realize he's right. He's right. We need to bring back that which, 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 which held the presence of God. For 70 years it was gone, and for 40 years it had been in a barn. Remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about Uzzah, Uzzah and I talked about Ohio? No? Okay, good. They decide to bring back the ark, and David creates a, this is important for you to know, David created a plan within himself. This was David's plan. Good intention, right heart, wrong plan. They build a cart, and their plan is to put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart to bring it back to Jerusalem, 
which was a seven-mile journey. Their only goal was to bring it there. They had no plans with it until it got there. You understand? They put it on a cart. It is being wheeled, and somewhere along the journey, it, it, it dips, and Uzzah goes to touch it. This is in the Bible, man. Read it. He goes to touch it, and when he touches it, he dies. This is a bad day for Uzzah. He's, he's dead. And now the Bible says David is frustrated with the Lord. And I know you never get frustrated with God because you're holy. Ooh, polishing my halo. Not me, bro. Me and God are always good. Stop. Uzzah's dead. And now David doesn't know. And here's what's crazy. Here's what I did not know. Uzzah and Ahio grew up 40 years in the presence of the ark. The very barn where, that, where the ark of the covenant had been put away and stowed, the presence of God, hear me, hear me, because it matters today. The very place where it was stored, they had been around it all the time, but they did not know what was in their presence. So when you have something and you don't recognize the power of what you have, you treat it with contempt. So they're walking, he touches it, he treats the Ark of the Covenant as common, and he dies. This is why people are... Uh, this is why we have so much spiritual death in the church. Because the presence of God comes and we treat it as common. We do, not, we do not rightly respond. I'm telling you the truth. I don't care if you don't want to hear it, this is the truth. When the presence of God will like, well, brother, I cannot do that because of the flesh. The flesh dies in the presence. Simple as that. The flesh, it dies in the presence. And so watch this. They take the ark and David is frustrated. He puts it in Obadidim's house. He's like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> this is the church. Oh, well, that Holy Spirit, brother, we don't know what to do with him. He, we can't control it. People get, what will people think, brother? What will they think? You cannot, you can't tell people they're free. They've been struggling with that for 40 years. What will they think? And so here's, here's our plan. We'll put it in a room. That'll be, the, that'll be the prophetic room. If there's a demon, send them to that room. We'll put Kathy in there and some like very powerful people. And they'll, they'll cast it out. But not out here because people, out here we have to be. You understand what I'm saying? And for three months, the Ark of the Covenant was in Obedidim's house, and you need to read about it because for three months, his whole household prospered. To the, this is what happens when you host the presence in your home. You're like, well, brother, we, on Sunday mornings, this is what we're doing. No, you are the resting place of the Holy Spirit. You are the home. Everywhere you go, like if, ah, help me, Lord. So David goes back. And I love what he does because he's like, okay, I, I made my own plans. It's like, why is the church not working? Because we try to make our own plans. Here's what we'll do. I'll get, I'll get Angel, I'll get Boo, Chucho, John. We'll come up with a plan and it's going to be so good. And then we will ask the Lord to bless it. Here you go, Lord. Isn't it good? It's so good. They're going to love it, Jesus. And if it doesn't work and if it kills people, we're going to blame you for it. This applies to you. You're like, what are you, this applies to you because God has brought you to this church to be a carrier of presence. And so David opens up the Bible, 
which is what, this is where our strategy should come from. Hello, we're not, we're not trying to find something new. We're just trying to go back to what he established. Hebrews 6. And he figures out, oh, gosh. I forgot God had given us a prescription for how to carry the presence. And he reads about Moses and the tent that Moses had built. Do you remember this? There was an outer court and an inner court and a holy of holies. And only some people were allowed to go into the holy of holies. And there was sacrifices day and night and night and day. And there was this, this thing that was set up. But, but the only people, I love you. Yes, yeah, my brother. Yeah, see, he knows where I'm going. That's how you know he was at first service. He reads about these people and then he realizes, oh, I forgot. Because David had read the Bible. The people who are supposed to carry the presence are the Levites. Remember the Levites? They're like talking about priests. Listen, 1 Peter 2, for you are a chosen people, a royal. No, brother, I, I took an anagram test. I'm a prophet. I'm not a priest, brother. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a prophet, an evangelist. I cannot, I cannot intercede. Stop, you're a priest. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, separated, consecrated unto God. This is who you are. Anybody ever wonder how the Levites got chosen anyways? I know the people, well, brother, many are, you know, many are called, few are chosen. Have you ever tried to move? Listen, uh, have you ever tried to move and tried to get people to help you move? Everybody, yo, I got so many friends, but when I'm about to move. So here's what happens. I call lots of people. Hey, I'm about to move. You know how I choose who's going to help? Anybody with a hand lifted up. You, I choose you. So Exodus 32, Moses goes up the mountain. This is how they got chosen. This is important. Moses goes up the mountain, and he's communing with God. And the people, the people are staying by the mountainside, and they're waiting to receive from God. This is what we're all at. Can we agree on this? We all want to receive from God. Can we agree? Man, if you don't, I don't understand what's going on. We're all wanting to receive from God. And so Moses goes up the mountain and listen to this. In the very beginning of the chapter, it says this, Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down, they gathered around Aaron. They found themselves a man of God. Come on, they said, let us make gods who can lead us. We do not know what happened to this fellow Moses. What happened? They got weary and waiting. Oh, no. They got tired of waiting on God, so they decided to make their own way. So by the time Moses, these are the people who had just gotten freed from slavery by God. This is how quickly we forget the things God has done for us. Oh, God, you're talking about, brother, I don't got no idols. No, but you got your 401k. He's so quiet. <laughs> Every one of us, we have idols, and Moses comes down off the mountain, and he sees what is going on, and the Bible says this in verse 26. So he stood at the entrance of the camp, and he said this. Uh, let me back up. Verse 25, Moses saw Aaron, and that he had let the people get completely out of control, so much to the amusement of the enemy. So he stood at the entrance of the camp, and he shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come and join me. So picture this. Moses comes off the mountain, and he's like, what is happening? I've been with the Lord and I've been waiting. And he gets up on the mountain. Uh oh, uh, pretty good after a 10K. And he, 
let all who are for God come to me. And he's calling them to a separation. Choose God or choose your idol. And the reason the Levites were chosen to minister to the presence was because they said, Ooh, me. And the Levites were the same people who they were never called to battle. When everybody else would go out to battle, they were called to minister to the Lord. So the last time, uh, the last time they were called to fight was this. After they responded, God told them, take the sword from your side and cleanse the camp. And that day they went about, the Levites, the, the ministers to the Lord, they took their swords and that day 3,000 people died. And I'm telling you, as a priest unto the Lord, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying like, yo, pull out your shank, it's time to go. No. What I'm saying is it's time for the people of God to rise up and kill complacency, kill apathy, kill unbelief, kill doubt, kill poverty mentality. Oh, isn't it time? I just see like, I just, let all who are for God, like let's wake up out of the American dream and let's pursue what he has for us. Let's pursue destiny. Let's do something significant other than make our lives comfortable. And so Moses goes back and he begins to, to pursue the Lord and he begins to read. And he finds out about the Levites, so he sends the Levites. But watch this. Chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles, it says this. But now David built several buildings for himself in the city of David. And I wonder how much we identify, I wonder how much we're trying to build for ourselves. Is it just me? Like I was talking to my wife yesterday, I told first services, and we're taking up an offering today, and I asked her, how much do you want us to give? And she said a number, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Did you pray about that? And she was like, she said, it's just money to me. Some of you are like, no, 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 I can't, can't no. Listen, either we trust God or we don't. This has nothing to do with what we're about to take. I'm, I'm, this is, you understand? Like trusting God looks like something. It looks like something. And because the devil has manipulated giving and sowing and he's abused it, we have missed out on part of the gospel that is important. And so like David, we were building houses for himself, but then he catches a revelation the very next chapter and it says he also prepared a place for the ark of God and set up a special tent for it and I believe it was in this moment that the heavens were open for him to receive what was in his heart are you hearing me I believe the reason first Chronicles 13 never worked out was because there was no place prepared for God's presence to land And I just want you to let that sit. Because I want to say to you, it is not our job to prepare a place for the Holy Spirit to land in your life. What God does here on Sunday mornings, this is corporate worship. But this is not where you receive your oil. I'd take you to Matthew 25 if I had the time. This is not where you receive your oil. 
This is where you are poured out and where we corporately come together to lift up the name Jesus. And when that happens, the Bible says people are attracted to that and lives are changed. And so David says, let us prepare a place. And he calls the Levites out. And there's this amazing picture, this imagery that happens as the Ark of the Covenant makes a seven-mile journey and they make sacrifices all along the way, honoring. And so David built a tent, and this is where I'm going to land. Are you all right? You're like, he's like Disney. He's crazy. No, not crazy. The tabernacle of Moses, outer courts, inner courts, holy of holies. Only some people were allowed in the holy of holies. So we, all, we already agreed David read the Torah, right? He read the Torah. That's how he knew about the Levites. But in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, there was also a description of how to build the tabernacle. Very specific. This is how you build it. This is what you build it with. This is what it's supposed to look like. But for some reason, David understood that's not what it's going to look like today. So the tabernacle of David was one room. It was one room inside the tent. And in the room... I feel the Lord. In the room was the Ark of the Covenant, which held the presence of God. In the old tabernacle, day and night, there were sacrifices, blood sacrifices that were made for the atonement of sins, to be made right with God. In David's tabernacle, there was only one sacrifice. <sighs> when the Ark and the presence of God came into the tent, are you understanding yet you are the tent? I don't know if you're getting that yet. We're going to get there. When the, ark, when the Ark of the Covenant came to the center of Jerusalem, because they encamped around the presence during David's reign, the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box, came under the blood, and there was never blood over it again. This is why I cannot understand people who will not accept that they are free from sin in Christ. You might as well buy yourself a nice goat and start because it, it went under the blood one time. And one time was enough. So David prepared a place for it. Super important. He prepared a place and there was only one room and they ministered to him and David spent millions, say millions, millions of dollars for 33 years. There was never a moment during the reign of David, which was 33 years. Can you think of anything else significant that's 33 years? 33 years, day and night, night and day, 24-7, there were people hired to minister to the Lord in that tent. Gio, um, we, we know we belong. We just love it here, like family. And we're starting to believe, but, but what are we becoming? You're becoming a tent. Let us sing right here. Some of you are not going to get it yet. We're, we're building Disney World. You're becoming a place for God to dwell. You have passed under his blood and you have been made whole. Don't care what you think. Not, not interested in your sin. Not interested in it. Because what I know, what I know, look at me, eye contact. What I know is that in the presence of God, your flesh has to die. So what the enemy does is he, he makes you believe through shame, through guilt, through people he sends to make you believe. You just don't belong in that place. And outside of the tent, the flesh thrives. 
let's, let's, make, let's make it unchurchy. All the things you don't like about you outside of the tent, it sucks there. It's like, it's like that's pre-college. <laughs> it sucks there. But as you enter in and you become a minister to the Lord, this is not difficult. Like, what are you talking about? Like, am I, am I supposed to go to Dix and buy a tent? No. Like, what about when it's 7 o'clock, instead of turning on Netflix, you're just like, oh, gather the family. Let's take communion. Like, let's, let's, I just want to hear. I just want to hear about what God's saying to you. Well, that's not ministering to the Lord of course it is. He's the center of the conversation. He just wants a place at your table. Do you understand? And if we would become, if we would become a church that did this, we would have to stop worrying about all the exterior things. I have to say this. We've established you're called to be a priest, right? You, are you guys, you guys get that? You may not get it yet, but you're going to leave here knowing I, that Gio said it. And it's true, it's in the Bible. 1 Peter 2.9, read it. In Ezekiel 44, there was two priests. One of the priests spent all of their time ministering to the needs of man. And what you find, I can't go there right now, but what you find is God turns him over to the needs of the people, receives the one that minister unto him. And those become the reformers. Those become the ones that they, they restructure. Like, well, my home is chaos. You're living outside the tent. Well, I just, just don't understand all of these excuses. So you're like, well, well, Gio, like, that's Old Testament, Gio. We're New Covenant people. Like, we, 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 we read, this Bible only has Matthew, Mark, Luke, it has the Gospels. But in John chapter 12, there's a woman, and she's, she comes into the room. And to understand John chapter 12, you have to really read 11, because this was a woman who had just been in the presence of Lazarus being raised from the dead. So understanding that she understood Jesus as resurrection power. And I don't know about you, but my Jesus has resurrected some things in my life. There ain't no doubt about it. He restored my marriage. I don't know if you know, the first year of my marriage, I thought I was going to lose it. I thought I was going to lose my wife. Both kids, we thought we were going to lose them. He is resurrection power. So here comes this woman with this revelation of Jesus and in a room full of people, oh, the American church, entertain me. I don't like that song. The music is loud. He sweats and screams. Here comes this woman with tears down her face. They were not tears of sadness. You understand this? This is the woman who had just found life. She had locked eyes. She had locked eyes with the one who was everything. And the Bible says she comes into the room not with a medium-sized offering, not with, she came into the room with something that cost her something. And she begins to pour the perfume on his feet and wipe it with her tears and her hair. And the people in the room were like, what is she doing? Why are they worshiping for 45 minutes? We're hungry. Why did she tell me to stand again? I'm sick of this. We're not here for you. We've seen him. <laughs> We've seen him. So, so Judas is like, you know, with that perfume, we could have fed people for a whole year. And Jesus is like, you're so dumb. 
he didn't say that, but like Jesus is much kinder, but he's like, you've been with me three years, you still don't get it. Because there's something about extravagant worship that scandalizes the religious. They won't get it. And I, I honestly feel bad. I'm not even mad. I used to be mad. Now I just feel sad. Because there's no place greater than at his feet. And I believe she is modeling for us what it looks like to live out 1 Chronicles 13, 14, 15. You understand this is all about choice. I can stand up here and preach the best message in the world and you might leave going, yes, oh, rocket fuel. But you're going to go home tonight, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to spend your time doing. There's going to come a moment when you're alone and you're gonna, nobody's going to be around and you gotta, how you're going to respond, how you're going to react. And it's making a choice in those moments to say, no, 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 no. I'm building a tent. And I'm going to host him because I know this is where life is found. So 30-something times during the reign, after the reign of David, the people would let the ark go and they would be killed. The Philistines, all of these things would happen. 30-something times the people would move away from God and they would get to this place where they're like, what should we do? Do you feel that? Like, what should we do the world? And somebody gets this idea, oh my gosh, let's go back to God. <laughs> and they would restore the, the, the temple of David, the tabernacle of David, and order would come into the nation once again. Not, it's not 70%, it is 100% of the time. When worship is offered unto the Lord and he becomes the sender, everything else changes. Gio, you're not teaching me how to deal with my sin, bro. I'm sorry. But there's so much more. I could put Hebrews 6 back up where he talks about stop dealing with the elementary teaching. You ready for that? <laughs> 